Answer online at 560theanswer.com on the AM560 mobile app, on your Alexa-powered smart speaker, and on TuneIn, iHeart, and on Odyssey. Now, from the Signature Bank Studios, this is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, the Labor Department says the these United States of America added 253,000 jobs in April. That's uh, significantly more than was predicted by the mystics, about 185,000 they thought. So um, slowing down of the economy, what does, uh, well, not exactly, not with that uh, hiring uh, pace. So what does that exactly mean for the near-term economy? What does it mean for Fed policy? Are we going to see another rate hike that we saw this week again next month and the month after? I don't know. Jay Powell seemed to provide um, the usual middling statements about where Fed might go and how the market might react. For more on all this, we're pleased to be joined by Jim Perry. He is the founder CIO of Perry International Capital Partners. Jim, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Good morning, Dan. Thanks for having me. So, 253,000 jobs in April. Um, does that mean we're not in that stagflationary environment, uh, even though we only saw 1% GDP growth in the first quarter? Well, economies are complicated things, you know, and if you just look at the jobs report, this number, I mean, 250,000 jobs isn't a lot. You know, pre-pandemic, we were kind of adding 500 a, a month, right? So um, not as great as it was pre-pandemic, but the one thing that you see today, you know, with your 253,000 new jobs, that's the 13th straight month where job growth exceeded expectations. And that's, that hasn't happened Ever. So Powell was absolutely correct in his press conference on Wednesday after he hiked for the 10th time in this cycle. Rates are now up 5% from the lows, uh, the pandemic lows. And I think the key takeaway from Powell was that he's really surprised that with, you know, 5% increase, a 5% increase in interest rates that the economy is still doing so well and that the uh, jobs market is still so strong. Unemployment dropped to 3.4% this morning from 3.6 last month. This is a record low unemployment. Yeah, but so does that mean that, that he's sticking to, I mean, he didn't say this formally, of course, but, you know, the, the, the translation was... Uh, we got to put a couple million people out of work in order to get inflation under control. And that's sort of what he was aiming to do. Is that still what you think he's aiming to do? Yeah. I mean, harshly speaking, that's the truth. I mean, you know, you can't really sugarcoat that. Uh, labor demand far exceeds labor supply. And when you get that demand pressure gives us wage pressure, right? We've got, we've got real demand. I mean, the economy is still doing well, and I don't know if you saw the retail, real retail sales numbers for the first quarter. You know, they were up 3.6% from 1.5 in the fourth quarter. So 
these are strong demand numbers, and they're being driven by people who actually have some assets and some money. So uh, it's kind of a bifurcated economy. The uh, people who have money and assets that are inflating are doing well, and the people that don't own assets, homes and pensions and uh, mutual funds, they're, they're falling behind inflation, which is rising. Right. So how does that work, and when can we see any relief at, say, the gas pump or the grocery store? Yeah, I mean, goods are one thing, and I think that um, I was talking to a portfolio manager friend of mine at a pension in Europe yesterday, and he said that most of the inflation in Europe has been because of energy, and he expects it to go down. But, you know, winter's over. I mean, they're not using energy. It's really about wages. And I think uh, the last time we spoke, we were talking about eggs again, Amy. We have talked about that for several months. But, you know, the fact is it's all of those jobs that go into bringing goods to consumers, all those salaries are up, and wage inflation pressure uh, is rising. Uh, I wrote a note this week. Um, if you look at some of the data from some of these Federal Reserve banks, these regional banks, um, the most important one is the Atlanta Fed wage tracker, right, is running at 6.5% up 6.5% from last year, right? That's a huge number. And uh, the San Francisco Fed measures cyclical core PCE, consumer consumption expenditure inflation. It's rising at 7.9%. So these, these, these inflation numbers are real. And the idea that somehow the Fed's going to cut rates here anytime soon is, I just, I find it absurd that that's what the market thinks. Well, what, so... Right. So so with the, the wage pressure upward, then that right. puts uh, prices, uh, particularly for service sector uh, 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 businesses, upwards as well. And so, it's, I mean, it's sort of a, it seems like a, a bit of a, um, a bit circular, right? You can't, you're, you're, you're pressuring wages up, which pressures prices up while you're trying to reduce inflation through rate hikes. Correct. Uh, it is cyclical and, and circular in nature, and, and that's what Powell's worried about. He's worried about structural, systemic inflation, right? And the fact is that, you know, the service sector of the economy is is three-quarters of GDP, right? So everybody's happy that goods prices are slowing, right? You know, oil's coming down, and, and food prices are coming down, and the cost of containers from China are coming down, and that's all great. Um but that's a quarter of the economy, right? So three quarters of the economy is inflating twice as fast as Powell wants it to do. So he's talking about money that is still hard. It's hard to argue that Fed policy is restrictive right now with inflation rising this high. And he wants to get policy restrictive. Maybe the banking crisis slows it down and maybe credit spreads widen out and maybe mortgage spreads widen out. And that slows things down a little bit, but that's going to take some time. Well, then how is the street betting that he's going to uh, do another quarter point hike in June and that'll be it? Uh, That stuff changes a lot. And I think, you know, uh, let's face it, these markets have been as jumpy as they've been in, you know, really since the pandemic, you know, I mean, you're getting 1% moves up and down on the S&P pretty much every day. Um, not every day, every week anyway. 
And the fact is that uh, the the economy is is a reflection of the markets, but the markets are a reflection of money. And there's still a ton of free money out there, right? So the street sees a lot of liquidity. I mean, you know, the Japanese are easing, the Chinese are easing, the Europeans have stopped raising as aggressively as they were. Rates there are still only three, three and a half percent. So there's plenty of money around. So the stock market doesn't need to necessarily go down um, because people like the option of thinking that, you know, the world's going to be a better place. Investors are optimistic. In uh, one of the uh, items in the, the note that you sent out this week, every uh, single bear market since 87 has been started because of higher inflation and the Fed response to it. So um, this seems to be the, the what we've seen before, even though, I, I, again, I'm a little bit um, perplexed by this um, continued de facto adherence to the Phillips curve when that was debunked by Reagan's seven fat years, yet that you have to trade off employment with inflation. But that seems to be what Powell's saying. But, I mean, if, if every bear market since 87 has followed this pattern that we're in right now, then how how can how can you have confidence that uh, you should be in the equity markets? I don't. <laughs> you know, I mean, your, your point is correct. Every single bear market since I've been in this market has started really with higher inflation, right, which the Fed responds to with higher rates. Uh, the Fed always responds with higher rates. And, you know, let's face it, it's, it's pretty simple. When interest rates rise, you know, the weakest links in the chain break first and the weakest links in the chain right now are really excessively indebted financial firms that are carrying a lot of leverage on their books and um when rates rise on leveraged debt you know it collapses pretty spectacularly and and that's what's happening in the regional banking system and um how extensive, I mean, it seems to me like we're a bit in uncharted territory because of how long rates were kept as low as they were. So, so, so it's, it's hard to necessarily, I know it's hard to necessarily project, you know, the depth and length of this, but, um, you know, are there any historical parallels you see or ways to extrapolate from, uh, you know, previous examples? You know, I've been asked that question a lot, Dan, and it's a good one. And I would say, you know, anybody that tries to do that is going to be wrong, you know. And the reason for it is, I mean, look what happened, you know, in March of 2020. We had this global pandemic and this unbelievable global government response to it where, you know, GDP drops by 25%, you know, in 2020, and then it rises by 30% in 2021, Money supply goes up by $10 trillion, and now everybody's trying to say, oh, this reminds me of, you know, yeah, right. 1973 or 81 or 46. Well, there's no parallel to this. Yeah. How can economists can't judge a, 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 a three standard deviation event to a global economy and, and, and make any predictions that seem logical? All we can do is say, in the present, the here and now of it is, interest rates, and the economy are trying to normalize, right? Now, we don't know what that normalization is. We're trying to get there. What we do know is that society has become more bifurcated. The wealthy have money. I was going to say happy Cinco de Mayo because it's, you know, May 5th. But, you know, this is a big weekend. We've got a coronation in London. we got, we got the, the Kentucky, Kentucky Derby. Derby. Yeah. 
and the, and the Formula One race here in Miami, right? Oh, yeah. So this is a good example. It's kind of a nice segue. Last year, the Miami Formula One was here. It brought $400 million into the Miami economy, which oh, is wow. as, big as, as big as a Super Bowl, right? And they have it for 10 years. The number of people that are in this city for that race, every hotel is full, every restaurant is full, every private car, every boat is full, right? These people are spending money because they've got it. And that's what's driving demand because they don't care if they have to pay 6% more for, uh, you know, a beer or uh, 25% more for a dinner or, you know, $3 more for, you know, a carton of eggs. They're going to still go for the experience. This is the service sector of the economy. So all these businesses that hire people to cater to this have to pay higher wages. And that's happening in Miami, Chicago, New York, Washington, San Francisco, you name it. They're, Restaurants are full. You cannot get into a restaurant in New York City without a month uh, reservation. And this is the difference between this economy after the pandemic and previous ones. Because people who have wages that have been stuck are really, these households, you know, disposable income at the household level is really under pressure. People do not have free cash flow. Prices of gasoline are up and transportation and food and health care and, and pharmaceuticals and uh, education, you name it. So, but what, but what you're talking about that that's not enough to produce robust growth. There's not enough people with, uh, you know, that are not bottom line sensitive because and right. we see that because GDP grew one percent in the first quarter. So I mean, it's not you know they they can't they can't uh, alone uh, uh, you know shoulder the burden of of dynamism in America. Yeah, that's right. I mean, GDP, you know, and I don't know if it's going to be negative 1% or up 1% or negative 2. It's not growing very far. Aggregate, in aggregate, it's not growing. To your point, Dan, that's 100% correct. But what's happening still is that where it is growing, it's putting pressure on wages because there's a shortage of workers. I mean, if you look at the non-farm payroll report to number, the labor participation rate is just over 60%. You know, that's eligible workers between the age of kind of, you know, 21 and, and, and 55 or something like that. 40% of these people who could be working are not doing it. And that's why there's a shortage of labor. That's why wages are rising. And, and but you're, you're, I mean, just talk about your own positioning. A, a uncharted territory, no historical parallels, um, a lot of predictions of recession by year's end. So, and you just said you don't have confidence in the equity markets, but people right to take a defensive posture with respect to their investments and, and sort of a flight to safety. I think so, Dan, you know, I, I, I've been a financial analyst and strategist my whole career and I, I play in probabilities, right. And my comfort level with a rising stock market from here is, is not high, you know, and right now, until I can figure out how bad this banking crisis is, I mean, we don't really know how many bad loans some of these banks have, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, some of the banks have gone under. They're the weakest banks. They, it looks like there's a lot of fraud there, a lot of corruption, a lot of bad loans, and a lot of bad management. And that stuff breaks first all the time. How many of those are out there? I don't know. Probably more because rates are going to hurt. But if you're going to get paid five and a quarter percent to own a six month T-bill or 5% to be in a money market account until the dust settles. I'm really happy to play defensive, uh, uh, defensive game right here. 
He is Jim Perry, founder CEO of Perry International Capital Partners. James, thanks as always. Appreciate it. Dan, thank you. Have a great weekend. Thank you, too. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. The stories you need to know to start your day. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. This is Sean Thompson, and I'm proud to tell you about the great work of the Tunnel to Towers Foundation, a new partner of ours here at AM560. Born on America's darkest day of 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been helping America's heroes ever since. When a first responder or military service member doesn't come home and young children are left behind, Tunnel to Towers pays the mortgage on the family home to lift the financial burden and bring stability. For catastrophically injured veterans and first responders, Tunnel to Towers builds mortgage-free smart homes, giving our most severely injured heroes the ability to live more independent lives. You can help America's heroes.